0: Are you stuck in a quagmire of poor cash flow and or high stress and not sure how to move your business to a new level of profitability? Break the barriers that are blocking your business from expansion and growth and begin to live your dream now. Welcome to Dr. Doug Radio, where you are taught marketing and growth strategies from the experts. And here's Dr. Doug.
1: Good morning, folks. This is Dr. Doug with Dr. Doug Radio. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Today, I am pleased to have a gentleman by the name of Dee Miles. He is author of Risk Factors and Business Models and just basically a cool guy. Hey, Dee, how are you doing today?
2: How you doing today, Doug? Glad hey, to be here.
1: I'm doing great. Thanks. Hey, glad, glad to have you on the show. Hey, listen, what I'd love to have you do is just kind of tell the audience about yourself who you are what you've done talk a little bit about your book and and really help them to understand how you got to where you are today and then we're going to go in and really have some fun talking about some of the things that you talk about in your book
2: that'll be great sure I'm an award-winning author award-winning professor award-winning researcher statistician legal expert witness and best-selling author I'm a national expert in my field in uh, entrepreneurship and marketing. I'm a startup and marketing expert, and uh, I have my own consulting practice, Miles Development Industries Corporation. And I, my practice is a very unique practice. I uh, do business model development, and I work with high net worth individuals. I work with uh, professional athletes, all the way from professional athletes to lottery winners. Wow! And uh, my I have a very unique consulting area of expertise on my uh, background is in uh, startups. Uh, Presented uh, my research around a country, uh, such as Stanford University, and I even got invited to Harvard University. Uh, My background is I have 20 years of uh, experience in the retail industry and the financial services industry. Uh, Former loan officer, I used to uh, review loan applications, and I've seen some uh, different things when uh, we deal with applicants. I've also uh, done work with the uh, SBA. I've done work with uh, a small business development center. I've done research on uh, business scams. And uh, one of the things that a lot of businesses or people fall to in businesses, they deal with business scams. And a legal expert witness, I've been asked to uh, testify in court about different business scams and business ventures. And most uh, commonly, uh, some of my most popular work in terms of legal side is I've dealt with multi-level marketing companies, uh, pyramid type of companies.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: Uh, Oh, absolutely. I've appeared in the national media. I've been uh, interviewed in Forbes magazine. I've appeared on CBS News. I've appeared in various uh, shows. And uh, most recently, uh, the Forbes interview was about – a multi-level marketing startup company so i won numerous awards for my research i'm a three-time winner of the academy of business research uh conference award i've won uh, three awards in uh, marketing and economics and i uh, won a fellowship for my doctor work which is the basis of my book my book i uh looked at 500 small businesses and i looked at business patterns and that's how I came with the book Risk Factors and Business Models. This uh, uh, based on my doctor work on entrepreneurial risk and risk patterns. Cool. And that's my story, and I'm sticking to
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better. Hey, that's great. And and you know what? Uh, what's really cool about that? Now, our audience, uh, for the most part, is really small business owners, and and right. that's kind of where we're focused. And and here's what here's what I find has been interesting: <clears throat> that in most cases. They look at these big companies, which obviously you you happen to work with a larger level of companies and individuals, and they think, well, that's them. Now, how do I run my business? And personally, what I have found is that you can take all of those elements of a big business and literally bring it into a small business paradigm And they can use the same concepts. They just kind of tone it down a little bit. And all of a sudden, the same rules that fit for big businesses in most cases will actually help a small business owner to really be able to grow their business and and size their business as as big as they want them to go.
2: Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Absolutely.
1: So I'd love to have you talk a little bit. I know that you've got – risk factors business models let's talk about some of the risk factors first and then let's talk a little bit about some of the business models that you have found uh really work well for small businesses but first of all let's talk about risk factors and this isn't just necessarily for someone that's ready to start a business but this is also Mm -hmm. for those that are already in business that maybe don't have the foundation that they would like to have
2: oh absolutely uh brilliant brilliant question uh They're basically based on my research of 500-plus small business ventures. They're basically five characteristics of risk, and I'll go over each of them for your audience. Perfect. I'm going to go ahead and list them, and then I'll go over each one. Okay. The first one is personal characteristics. The second one is intangible operations risk. The third one is enterprise operations risk. Next is market climate risk. And the last one and uh, probably one of the most most important of the five is called business environment risk. Okay, personal characteristics means um, your age, your gender, maybe your ethnic group that you belong to, uh, considering your your uh, industry experience, uh, also considering your market that you're in. Now, most people that start a business, in terms of risks, with the personal characteristics, is some people start businesses that don't have a background in the industry, and that is a a, a huge risk. So that could be an issue. Based on my research, gender and ethnicity was not a uh, was not a deterrent in terms of risk. I found that people that that were in a particular ethnic group and a particular gender did not exhibit any other higher entrepreneur risk patterns and say anyone else. And that's a good thing. I was really surprised when I saw that in my research. Intangible operations risk, and this is one of the critical ones. Intangible operations is the legal part of the business that is not inside the business in terms of business efficiency. This is the legal things involved with the business, like your trademarks, uh-huh. like your, um, your uh, business name, those type of things those intrinsic things that affect the, the operations of the business that are not in the business okay enterprise operations is the flip side of that enterprise operations are the things within the business your efficiencies uh your cash flow your uh, your uh, your employees how many employees do you have are are, you, are those type of things is the business efficient is the business um, hitting their main goals is the business is your customer batting average high? Those are some of the things I talked about enterprise operations risk. Market climate risk means the marketplace in which you uh, operate the business. Is it a saturated market? Is it a risky market? Is it a new market? Is it a declining market? So those, those uh, risks involve the market side of the business. And lastly, the business environment risk involve um, environmental risk that can affect the uh, vitality of the business, say, if you're in a certain part of the country and you're prone to hurricanes, well, when you have a natural disaster, it shuts down operations of your business and it also affects your profitability. Also, if there's a terrorist act, well, if you're in the tourism industry or whatever particular market area that you function out of, well, as soon as there is a terrorist act, well, people tend to not want to go patronize that particular area. So that hurts your business as well. And also if the terrorist act is in a result in a bombing, that affects the operations of your business and that affects the profitability of your business. So those are basically five risk factors that I looked at when I looked at the uh, different risk patterns between the businesses that I did for my study.
1: Well, you know, and, and, and what's interesting, you talk about the fact, for instance, that with with gender and race, um, uh-huh. ethnicity, ethnicity, the, you didn't find any major difference. Now, I'm, I'm going to share with you that I just came back from a uh, mm-hmm. small business committee for our, our um, Chamber of Commerce here. Awesome. And, and what was interesting is we actually had uh, a representative from the National Chamber of Commerce. Uh-huh. And as we were talking, we, we actually had a presentation for women and women in business. And what was interesting is they came up with a statistic that showed that there was definitely a discrepancy between the funds available for a female business owner versus a male business owner. Now, that seems to be a little bit contradictory to what you have found.
2: Well— let me say this, and I could understand their statistics because obviously they, they're trying to get financing and they're trying to get venture capital for their business. Uh, what I did find that's probably the flip side of that is business, businesses owned by women are just as successful as the ones owned by males. And I, what, what really inspired me when I was conducting my statistical analyses on this is that gender did not, was not a defining component to uh, people minimizing risk in the success of their business.
1: Okay, and and that's different because once they're in business and they're able uh-huh. to run with it, you're right. Uh-huh. And, in fact, uh, we were just seeing some amazing statistics here mm-hmm. um, in Utah relative to the business owners and the amount of income they're uh-huh. generating and the amount of employees they have. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's just amazing, and I know that that's true throughout the United States. So, okay, so that, that helps answer that question. Now, when you talk about the intangibles, okay, you talk uh-huh. about the legal parts, the trademarks. Let's talk about that a little bit. Do you mind if we go a little bit into depth with each one of these? Absolutely.
2: Um, sure.
1: Because what I find is that uh, when I start working with a small business, that, that's one area that we go into. And I find that in many cases, they they don't have their trademarks in place. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't need trademarks, but even when you get into the legal aspects of it, uh, have they have they defined themselves as a corporation? What type of corporation are they? Yes. What type of even even to the degree of what type of insurances do they have to protect mm-hmm. themselves against any type of loss or any type of injuries or whatever? I, mm-hmm. I'd love you to talk a little bit about that part of it, as far as what you find are the things that they tend to not think about.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: Uh,
2: there's an interesting story that I had about a guy who uh, ran a, pul- a plumbing business. And, uh, be- this hits right on your question. When you don't have the right business entity in place, uh, let's say, give an example of uh, your sole proprietorship, a sole proprietorship is the most risky types of business entities that are out there. And Doug, you know, this as well. And the reason for that is that you have no protection against your personal assets so if you have a, a, a sole proprietorship, which in this case of so this guy that had a plumbing business, what happened was one of his employees uh, went on a job, and this employee, the, a lady, was home, and uh, he went on the job and he actually raped this woman. Okay, and obviously uh, there were legal ramifications from that. So they, the person, the the other party, obviously the victim's party, went and sued the guy who owned the plumbing business. And a guy that owned the plumbing business had a sole proprietorship. So when they sued him, they wiped out all of his assets because he did not separate his business from his, uh, individual self because he didn't, he liked when you go to the bank and I've, you've done this as well as I have, Doug, they want to see your articles of incorporation, right? Right. They want you to see that. Well, he just ran it as a sole business proprietorship. He, uh, he didn't have he. Yes, he had a separate tax ID. Yes. But when he went to the bank and he opened up that business account, they still had it under his individual name as a sole proprietorship. So he had no legal protection. and He had all his assets wiped out. And that's a classic example. And that's also a cautionary tale for a lot of people that start a business. They really need to stay away from sole proprietorships. And when I looked at uh, the businesses for my study, they were some of the highest. In terms of risk patterns, they were really high to sole proprietorships because there was other things that came up, and because of because you don't take care of that, that you're vulnerable to a lawsuit one way or the other, and you have no corporate veil protection as you would a, a say a uh, C corp or B uh, corp. So you definitely that's definitely the intangible operations that I talk about in the book. Now another one is uh, capital intensity. Okay, Which hold I on. didn't talk about earlier. I'm going go
1: to ahead. stop you before we go there because i got some questions for you here, okay? Absolutely. Absolutely. So go you're ahead. talking about C-Corps. And look, I'm yes. not an attorney, and, and mm-hmm. all I know is for a while I had a C-Corp, I've moved over to an S-Corp. There are others uh-huh. that have LLCs. I'd, most small businesses I don't think are going to be encouraged to do a C-Corp because that gets to be real heavy paperwork and everything else. What I'm finding is uh-huh. most of them are either an LLC or uh-huh. an S-Corp.
0: Okay. That is correct. Now, that is
1: correct. do you find that there's – is that at least a step up from a sole proprietorship? Do you find that an LLC is better than an S-Corp or vice versa? What do you find relative to those two? Because I think those are the main ones that our small business owners are encouraged to adopt.
2: Well, LLC, and uh, which is a limited Liability Corporation, limited Liability Partnership, and which is an LLP and an S corp would be the optimal choice for your business venture. Okay. Now when we talk, you want, you want to hear something that's more risky than a sole proprietorship. Yeah. That's a partnership because a partnership <laughs> is two, is two morons time two, two soap, two uh, sole proprietorships times two. Now, why do you say Dr. Miles, why is that more risky? How would you like to have a business? Okay. And you go on with a partner which is probably most likely going to be your friend and everything's going good You know, you're making the money, raking the money in. And then one day your partner just decides out of nowhere to go take all the money out of the bank account and the corporate, or the business accounts that you have and leave just up and leave. Okay. That's the, that's the, the that's the uh, cautionary tale. When you're dealing with a um, partnership, a partnership is worse almost than a sole proprietorship because you're dealing with two people. And that happens all of the time. You have no legal recourse because both of your partners in the business. Now I say if you take the example of a gentleman who had who was sued because one of his employees went and raped a woman at her home, well, what if that's the same thing you have a you say a limited partnership? Well, partnerships, well, I'll say this. There's no limits on partnerships. Partnerships, do not you don't divide the equity or anything. You may say it's 50-50. So that means you're responsible for that other party, whatever they do legally, and they're responsible for you. So you want to ask for problems or ask for more lawsuits, go ahead and do a partnership. So when you asked me about um, what what could a small business do to minimize their risk or protect themselves with the corporate veil, LLC was the answer to the partnership. The LLC will protect you. And you have a limited liability stake or equity in the company. And uh, I don't, I think you kind of hit on this, Doug. Most small businesses are going the LLC route, and maybe the corp, the, maybe the C corp, not the C corp, the S corp. The S corp. And yeah. they're staying away from the C corp because there's a lot of, all of these uh, business entities are structurally structured differently for tax purposes. Like case in point, if you have an LLC and you want to bring in a foreign investor, well, you can't do it with an LLC. You could probably do it with a C Corp, but the IRS will probably flip you to a, I mean, an S Corp, but they would most likely like to see you do a C Corp with that. Because when you have a C Corp, you can bring in foreign investors, but you can't really do it with an S Corp and an LLC. So the optimal choice for a guy starting a business to protect himself legally would be to do an LLC or LLP, Or a S Corp. And then you can always change your designation with the IRS in case you you grow to be. I think the C Corps are more like for the Microsofts, the Walmarts, you know, the big corporations. So I would say those would be the optimal choices for you to protect yourself from a legal perspective is to either do an LLC or S corp, and you know you bring, I recommend.
1: Yeah, good. And you bring up an interesting point, uh, D, and that is with these partnerships. Mm-hmm. It, beyond doing the LLC, now all of mm-hmm. a sudden you have this situation where you know Joe's Joe's got his wife, and Bill's got his mm-hmm. wife, and uh-huh. all of a sudden Bill has a heart attack. He's gone. Mm-hmm. Now you got it. This fifty percent partnership, and and the wife. Uh-huh. doesn't really want to be involved so beyond that llc there's some really important things aren't there from the standpoint of insurance and protection that way to really uh-huh. protect those partnerships and i agree with your partnerships are tough oh yeah <laughs> i've
2: seen horror story after horror story and you know what i mean i don't you really can't tell people don't go into business with somebody you 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 like or you have a friendship with. And then you can't say don't go into business with somebody you don't know. It's kind of a 50-50 shot. I believe that it's, it's a case-by-case situation. And I don't believe that certain people should be in business together. Like, I probably wouldn't go into business with my wife. I think that she should have her own thing. Why? Because you get a divorce, then you got problems, right? Especially if it's, say, LLC. And, you know, you want to stay away from those type of things. We'll see at least it's when it's an LLC or LLP, you can buy the other party out or, or or sell your interests, right? And other parties can buy you out. However, when it gets complicated, when it's a divorce, when it's a death, when it's uh somebody wants to bring in their children into the business, you may not want to agree with that. You may not particularly care for that. So, but. As long as you have it as a legal entity and you do the proper paperwork within your state to remedy any changes, I don't believe it's that difficult. But it's more difficult when you don't have an LLC as opposed to a partnership. A partnership is like a duck waiting to get shot. He's eventually going to get shot.
1: Well, and, It's just
2: a matter yeah. of when.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and and again, if you do have an LLC or if you got a partnership, for heaven's sakes, get life insurance on your partner. Make yes. sure that if anything happens there, uh, make sure that in, in all of those legal legal agreements that you mm-hmm. take, you play major defense here, all right? Absolutely. You, you play major defense, although you would never assume anything bad is going to happen. You, you bring in the insurance. You make sure you have everything legally in place to protect you against divorce, against death, mm-hmm. against all of those types of things.
2: Oh, absolutely. I would agree with you 200%. And most people don't do that. It's like you kind of fill their way out. Uh, uh, I can't I can't tell you recount how many of the situations I've seen, especially with athletes, because they don't protect themselves. You know, you have a lot of money. And sometimes we get careless because you have a lot of uh, assets. So you have a lot of capital. And next thing you know, a guy's getting sued because just out of nowhere. So you have to have those legal protections in, and it's it's the ABC rule, Doug your attorney, your banker, your cpa the, the holy trinity of business. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, i'm going to say abci and your insurance guy if you can trust him.
2: <laughs> absolutely actually it's abci. yes yep, absolutely. exactly.
1: exactly. Absolutely. so then you you get into you get into the entre- enterprise part of this, the operations uh, within mm-hmm. the business itself. what what do you find are the biggest risks or what do you find
0: are the
1: biggest factors that will basically cause a business to either not succeed or to start having challenges?
2: Uh, I see two critical risk factors that uh, really answers your question perfectly. There's something called customer batting average. How many customers do you turn over in your business? And there's uh, metrics and statistics on this, and I was uh, blessed to have been able to read about analytics on this customer turnover is key because customer turnover is like your customer inventory. As we moved uh, less from manufacturing industries and more into customer driven industries where your customer turnover metric has to, has to really, really tell you what is the likelihood of you come when you have a customer that goes into your establishment or website or whatever you want to call it, what is the likelihood of them making a purchase? And most, uh, you know, you'd be surprised, you know, a lot of these small businesses that fail against Walmart, Walmart is an expert at customer turnover analytics. And what you can take from that of being a business or a small businesses, you want to know when a customer comes in, what's the percentage of the time they're probably going to buy something from you. So that's really critical because a lot of times people don't know either know who their customer is or know how much their customer spends or what the likelihood it is when a customer comes into their establishment and makes a purchase. Now, they actually have a technical term for it. They call it customer batting average, which is uh, meaning, well, if the customer comes in the business and he's going to bat, which is actually buy a product from you, what is the likelihood of him making a purchase? So the customer batting average has to be a critical factor in which you look at those things in terms of risk. Now, another key one is labor intensity. Labor costs. What does it cost you to run the business? And when you do run the business, what is the likelihood of you maintaining your cost infrastructure? Okay, and that's some, when I looked at some of the variables with my study, uh, I saw a lot of businesses that had trouble with labor costs. Do you actually need five employees? Can you really run the business on two? Now, I'm alluding to something, another factor that is, you, you're talking about cash flow. How much money do you have coming in Versus how much money you have going out. And, you know, you can have a good cash flow and still not make money because, you remember, you're dealing if you're a business that deals with a lot of vendors, you may have, you may, it may be a big deal for you to have money coming in. You're thinking it's great, but when you have the money going out, you have to pay all your vendors for the operations of your business. So those are the two key factors that I found very critical in enterprise operations, customer turnover and uh, labor costs. Labor intensity
1: well and and you know what 's interesting is you talk about customer turnover and you, you know, and you were talking a lot about you know what 's the percentage that come into your your company your your business, your service whatever and and actually make the purchase and and some of that has to do with the salespeople, obviously, some of yes. that has to do with your product here 's an entity and and I think you were alluding to it but but I want to help the audience to understand this is defined. Sure. You also have the element of customer retention. I, oh yes. You know, yes. I, I was working. I was working with a healthcare professional. Well, I am. And and what was interesting as we were looking at the metrics, as we were looking at the key indicators, and we were looking at the amount of new patients coming in, and the amount of total patients being seen. New patients was going up. Total patients was going down. And all of a sudden, we're looking at that, and I'm looking at him I'm going, okay, what does this tell you? And he goes, retention. And I go, exactly. You're not retaining your clients. And, absolutely. And what I have found is if a, a small business owner will actually pay attention to those existing clients, they can increase their business by 25% easily in revenue. Oh,
2: absolutely. I totally agree with that, Doug. I think it may even be more.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, I'm, be, I'm being conservative.
2: Absolutely. I I totally agree with that. I'll even go a step further and say this. Your customers that that are with you are already spending money with you, right? Why shouldn't you have somebody take care of them first? Because new business is hard to get. Would you agree?
1: Oh, uh, much more difficult than the existing business. Absolutely. And because
2: of that, people are real fickle when it comes to new business. You're You're having to prove yourself to a new customer. And if you don't take care of the customers that you have, You're definitely going to affect your cash flow, because how do you know that one customer uh, comprises 80 percent of your uh, profitability? You know, you heard the economic theory, Pareto's economic theory, the 20 percent account for the 80 percent that are insignificant. Well, that's actually true in in a business. Absolutely. Because only a few of your customers are driving or carrying your business and everybody else is not as significant as that one customer that's buying a lot of product from you. So you gotta cater to your current customer base, and you know that's business one on one, and you hit that right on the head,
1: Doug. Well, and then you talk about uh, some of these metrics: the labor cost, the cash flow, and and I and uh-huh. I really look at it. I use key indicators just because it's easier for me to say that. But, yes. but what I find is that. You know, for a small business owner, they really need to look at what are the key indicators. Now, I happen to believe there's seven or eight major main key indicators that have to be looked at on, Uh on a weekly basis. And, uh-huh. and and that's something that I think that's really important that the small business owner understands is that when you look at these big enterprise companies, guess what? They are using metrics. They are using key indicators. They are looking at them on a regular basis. You get mm-hmm. to a small business, and oftentimes you ask them about their numbers, and they say, well, yeah, my accountant sends me a quarterly report. Well, guess what? That ain't going to work.
2: Oh, uh, well, I totally agree. And accounting, and I hate to say this, I'm not I- – Accounting just wasn't my thing. I know I took it at grad school. This wasn't my thing. Accountants can, t- accountants can tell you if you're making money or losing money, but they can't tell you the relationships between the variables. A statistician or someone that does analytics will be able to tell you that. It's almost like you've seen the movie, uh, what is it, 21, whatever, counting cards.
1: Uh-huh. So,
2: so when you deal with someone that deals in metrics and analytics, they give, the, they give you the things that you can't see in front of you. So you're basically counting cards of your business. And your accountant really can't tell you that. That's a different skill set. Accountants tell you if you're making money or losing money. Is it pretty simple, Doug? Am I right?
1: You're right. And, and you know, what's interesting. You're using some words that people are going to say, oh, well, yeah, but that's going to cost a lot of money. Guess what, folks? There are ways that you can develop metrics or key indicators in your business using graphs, using you know Excel or whatever you want to do that literally cost you very little and it allows you to really con- control and predict your business and your future
2: i totally agree i totally agree and uh, i'll take that a step further when you hire a marketing guy and you hire you hire a uh accountant those are two different skill sets so what you have to do is you have to leverage a business team around you because remember business is a team sport and an accountant is not going to tell you certain things that your, your marketing guy is going to tell you and vice versa so you have to be on top of that,
1: and let's move. That segues right into that that next one we are, you were talking about and marketing climate, uh, marketing in general. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting because you've you've talked about the fact that you know what's your marketplace is it saturated, um, and and guess what? At this point in time in the economy, I think for the most part, every industry is saturated. Particularly for the small business owners, I mean, you talked about you were working with a plumber. Well, how many plumbers are in your area? Um, you know, so it's saturated, so then how does how does someone who owns that small business really utilize this concept of marketplace of marketing to allow them to really differentiate themselves so that they become the main choice?
2: Well, one of the things is you deal with the marketplace, which i obviously I study market climate risk is that you, when you're starting a business, you have to look for gaps in the marketplace. And what I mean by gaps, Doug, is this. No matter how many companies are out there, you have to fish in a pond that everybody's not fishing in. Think of it as being a fisherman. If you fish in a pond where everybody else is fishing, you're probably not going to catch a whole lot of fish. But if you fish in a pond where you can niche yourself and you can make a, you can definitely have a market niche that no one else has been able to exploit, that's how companies make money, and that separates companies from who fail and the companies that are successful. So one of the things, the market climate risk is you look at the market potential. You want to look at competition intensity. How, in, how intense is the competition? And, you know, I, I've said this before in some other interviews. There's something called social Darwinism, okay, well, by Darwin. Social Darwinism means the survival of the fittest in the business world. So many businesses are gonna are gonna survive and and so many are gonna fail. So you have to figure out the social darwinism is it? If you're gonna go into a saturated market, which is a which is a key element in market climate, you have you're taking a big risk. Like I like I was uh, talking to someone else, I said I live in San Antonio. We have a lot of Mexican restaurants here. Okay, you open in a Mex- Mexican restaurant, well you're it's probably 200 in your area alone. That's not even including the whole city of San Antonio. So opening a Mexican restaurant is highly risky because that just seems to be the standard uh, cuisine here. So you're not you're not going to set the world on fire starting a business that's already saturated with hundreds or two hundreds other type of businesses. So you have to be careful about market saturation.
1: Okay, but I'm going to stop you there for a minute. But yes. you want to, you are going to op- you are going to open up a Mexican restaurant. So uh-huh. then the next question is, because I mm-hmm. think in a lot of cases now, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of saturation going on in any business. Okay, mm-hmm. I think it just exists. So then uh-huh. the question is, how do you create that message? How do you create that niche uh, that says, we are so much better than all of these other Mexican restaurants uh-huh. that you want to come to us? And guess what? There are, there are restaurants out there that have done that. That uh-huh. you you go down the you go down the block and on one side, here's this restaurant that has very few cars in front of it. On uh-huh. the opposite side, here's another Mexican restaurant and mm-hmm. it is packed. Uh huh. Well, how do you, you account
2: for that? Yeah, yes, how do you I I account for that? that? I would say this and it's probably probably something that I probably had not discussed before. There's something called economic anchors. OK, and let me give you an example. Say if you have an air force base that's in your city, and there's no restaurants around it, and I go put a Mexican restaurant close to that economic anchor, I'm gonna make obscene profits, okay? And the food is okay. It's not. It's not gonna set you on fire. It's not gonna be on. Uh, it's not gonna be on home shopping network or anything for coupons. Well. That could be misleading. Why? Because I found a I found a gap in the marketplace, and I made sure I located my business to an economic anchor. And because I put my business in an economic anchor, my profitability could be misleading. But the only reason I made money is because I was the only one there. You see what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. So then so, the next guy comes in, uh huh, with a Mexican he, restaurant.
2: He might knock a den in some of your profits. What first thing that people do, and this is really common commodity type of businesses. He's going to try to compete with price on you instead of value. And always remember this mantra. And I tell used to tell my students this price is what you pay. Value is what you get. Some people are willing to pay, pay the lower price. Some people are willing to pay value. Okay. The same people that shop at Walmart are not the same people that shop at Neiman Marcus, people that shop in Neiman markets pay for value people that shop at walmart are concerned about price so if you get a mexican another mexican restaurant the first thing the guy's going to do is compete on price he's going to run a lunch special half the price on yours and whatever so then he's going to create a parody the goal is to create parody so that's why you see the cars in one restaurant and the cars in another and restaurants are a very funny business and i think you know this doug either they like you or they don't that's right they have one bad experience that's like Death Star, your business. So, uh, you know, those type of things you would definitely want to look at. And when I mean economic anchors, it it could be a, a sports stadium. It could be a college or university. It could be, uh, obviously, an Air Force base. You want to be where the traffic is. You want to have your business near an economic anchor so you can reap the spillover from the traffic of the people that attend that particular uh, installation or that particular uh, place. And that will be a good way to maintain your profitability. Now, there's a downside to that. Like what happened in San Antonio, we had a military base that got bracked. So all the surrounding businesses in that area were affected when they closed that military base down. So that's that's probably the only downside of that. But you could overcome that by being by being strategic in your marketing.
1: Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, there's another thing that you mentioned as we as we began uh, this mm-hmm. this day, and that was talking about business models and yes. as specific. I'd, I'd like you to kind of clarify that a little bit and expand on that a bit.
2: Sure. Your business model is what is a big part of your profitability, and business model means how you do business and how you seize your customers and how your customers are able to meet you in the marketplace. If you have a bad business model, and I'm actually writing a book on this, uh, well, and I'll definitely come back and discuss it with you. There's something called customer service model. And what I mean by that, which is a part of your business model, if you don't have a strong customer service model, like when people have problems with your business or your product, and you don't have a strong customer service component, your business model will be flawed. Okay, what I, what I mean by that? Okay, I buy something from your establishment. It doesn't work. I take it back. Do I have to go through an act of Congress to either get my money back or for you to exchange one? Why did I use that example? There's a major retailer who I'm not going to name. If you go buy a product from them, and I call this a, a very poor customer service business model, you go buy something from them. It doesn't work like a computer. They make you take it. They, they say, well, we can't do anything for you, but we'll give you the number or the address to the company in Singapore who makes the product and we'll give you a box you can go ship it and they'll give you they'll give you another one to work on it now what's wrong with that picture
1: oh everything
2: yes everything is wrong with that picture well when you bought the product in the establishment you didn't know that you had to go through that if something was wrong with the defective merchandise right So when I bought the product, I dealt with you. I didn't deal with the guy in Singapore, did I? So that's insulting to a customer, is it? Is it not?
1: Oh, absolutely.
2: So you're telling me if something's broke, I have to ship it myself to Singapore and wait for them to fix whatever's wrong with it? How much time are we talking? What if it's your business computer that you're using for your business? So now that affects you. Okay. So your business model has to have a strong customer service component to it. If I come to your establishment and something is wrong with the product, what is the, what is the layers of uh, intermediaries that I have to do to have the situation rectified? And that, defined, that separates the poor business models from the, the good business models.
1: Well, and actually, and what's interesting about that is that customer mm-hmm. service is just one element. If, if, one you, element. if you look at your, yes. your business model, your organizational model, uh-huh. There, there are, and depending on which one you may choose to look at, there are five, six, seven different specific areas mm-hmm. that need to be at top efficiency on everything that they're doing in order for that business model to work well.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And remember, we talking about one component, which is customers. We're not also talking about your relationship with the vendors. Your relationship with your clients, which is another metric that people use to evaluate a business model. Uh, Are you Internet? Are you Internet? uh, What's the word? I guess Internet compliant, commensurate, compliant. compliant. Exactly. Do you have do you have a strong business uh, on the Internet? Because just because you have a good business, that's a traditional brick and mortar. You may have a poor uh, online business model, which is another component that you kind of brought up. Because you have the way you do business with people in front of you and you have business that you do with people online. That's a totally different business model. So what, business models are critical.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And how do you deal with your employees? What kind of relationships do you have with uh-huh. them? What kind of quality control do you have within uh-huh. your employees? What kind of training programs do you have? All, what kind of hiring systems do you have? All of those type of things just become mm-hmm. such a factor in that area of business models.
2: Absolutely. And I'll even add this, Doug, business model is really a key word for relationships. What are your internal relationships and what are your external relationships? Meaning (laughs) this is what drives profitability. If we want to really talk, get out of textbook and just talk nitty gritty street business. People do business based on relationships. People do not do business with people they have a bad relationship with. And relationships run throughout the business and run outside of the business. If you have bad relations with your vendor, you're late paying them, you have a bad business model. So they're not going to want to give you credit, a 30-day, 60-day credit window in case your receivables are late. That's a business relationship that you want to maintain and you want to fix that. So business model, a lot of it is based on your
1: business relationship. Well, exactly. And, you know, we have just I'm, I'm just thinking about this. We're getting close to time. And I'm thinking we oh, have just been a, been we a have just packed this in, haven't we?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. this has been a blast. We get to talking about business. So I just can't stop.
1: yapping. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So so for the folks, number one, the name of your book, yes. let's remind the folks the name of your book.
2: Sure. The name of my book is called Risk Factors and Business Models, The Five Forces of Entrepreneurial Risk That Can Cause Business Failure.
1: And where can they get it?
2: You can buy my book on Amazon.com. You can get it from Barnes & Noble and you can even get it on eBay. And I have a link to my website that'll take you right to the uh, websites for the book.
1: Perfect. And let's talk about your website. What's the best website that they can go to if they want to learn more about you, be able to reach you?
2: Sure. My website is uh, mdicorpventures.com, and that's my website. I have links to uh, all of my activities. I also have another link. Your listeners are going to like this. I have a link on ResearchGate, and I have some uh, conference work and research that I've done on small businesses and marketing, and I have some materials on there that you can download for free
1: cool and and they can all get through to that through the MDI Corp. ventures.com Oh,
2: absolutely yes I have a okay. link to researchgate uh, recently I uh, did a wonderful presentation in New Orleans on criminal entrepreneurship and I definitely gonna I'm working with a co-author on that now, I'm definitely going to come back on your show and discuss that, the criminal element of criminal entrepreneurship.
1: Oh, boy, and I boy. Uh,
2: put my uh, research and conference that we presented that, I presented that up, up there. I uploaded it for people that are interested.
1: Oh, that will be very interesting. I look forward to it. Well, D, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been fantastic. Doug, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. We got to do it again. Absolutely. And folks, thanks for listening to us today. Uh, we hope you've gotten some really good elements of this. Definitely go to that website, M D I Corp, C-O-R-P Ventures.com. And take a look at what D has in there. And uh, again, folks, thanks for joining us. Have a great week. And we look forward to having you join us next week. This is Dr. Doug. Uh, thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for joining us on Dr. Doug Radio today. Call 800-260-1789 now for a free online business diagnostic analysis and a growth strategy session with Dr. Doug. That's 800-260-1789 or go to www.diagnosemybusiness.com.